Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. And today we do intend to conclude Romans chapter 11 by God's grace, and I believe there are some great things that the Lord would have for us to look at here today. So let me get started. And I'd like to begin by reading Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Praise be to God. So as we see, Paul is going to end this chapter on a bang. He is really just pumped up and glorifying God by the end of this chapter. And it's filled with hope. So let's consider where we are right now. We have talked about this entire book. We're seeing a flow, a beautiful flow. And Romans chapter 9 through 11 is a part of that flow. In Romans chapters 1 through 5, he makes the case, Paul makes the case, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God has a solution to mankind's sin problem, and it is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, faith and belief in that. And when a person, anyone, Jew or Gentile, will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved through faith, and justified by the just judge, God our Father, and brought in through the Holy Spirit and given a spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit then comes to live in us and allows us the opportunity and empowers us and enables us to live a godly life in this life after we are saved, which is what Romans 6 through 8 is talking about, that life of consecration and and sanctification, set apart to God 
and and blessed and following him, obeying him, and being used by him to help spread the gospel to others. And then Paul carries it on into chapters 9 through 11, where he talks about, okay, so what is this for the Jews? What does this mean for Israel? What does this mean for the church and Israel? And so he's covered all of that in 9 through 11. He's talked about Israel's disobedience problem, their unbelief, their main problem being unbelief and rejection of the Messiah. Way in their past, they they disbelieved God when they came to Kadesh Barnea and could have gone into the land. And he used that as an example. Then he carries it into the present day and how they've rejected Jesus. And then he carries it into the fact that they are symbolized by this olive tree in chapter 11 and branches have been broken off, but other branches have been grafted in among, with and among the remnant that remained and that did believe such as the faithful disciples and the 120 in Acts chapter two and Paul. And Paul gives himself as an example of that holy seed as well, that remnant that remained. So in this chapter, chapter 11, he's talking both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He's talking to the Jewish people, encouraging them to come to the Lord. He's already told us how to do that in chapter 10, faith in Jesus Christ and, you know, confessing him as Lord. He says, whoever believes on the Lord will be saved. Whoever will sincerely believe And we've talked about that, and that includes repentance. True faith includes repentance. When you believe God, you will act accordingly. You will change your mind, which changes your behavior. You will change your direction, and you will begin to pursue the Lord. You will come to Him. You will be grateful. You will love Him. You will fall in love with Him. There's a change. There's a change in your life, and it produces good things from then on. And it brings the blessing of the Lord and the empowering of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And so Paul makes that invitation. And his whole desire is for the Jewish people to be saved. And he talks about the remnant. He also talks about how there's coming a day when the fullness of the Gentiles, he calls it, will come in. And at that point, then God's going to begin to really deal with Israel the remaining Jews, and bring them to him as a whole. And we see that coming in other places in the scripture. It talks about that. And that's Paul's heart. But he also speaks in this chapter about the Gentiles, those wild olive branches that have been grafted in. And in essence, he warns us. He says, do not be high-minded. Do not get conceited because it's the mercy of God that has brought you in. And so we need to understand both sides. So beginning in verse 30 and going forward, he says that it was through the Jewish people as a whole, through their disobedience and their blindness, that the gospel came to the Gentiles and was sent to the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles have come to faith. So he says, don't forget that. In other words, we talked about Jesus cursing the fig tree. Why? Because it wasn't bearing fruit. He came seeking fruit. They didn't believe in him. They rejected him. And so he said, okay, you're not going to be my instrument anymore to carry the gospel to the world. I'm going to build my church. And my church, which does consist of believing Jews and Gentiles, will 
carry the gospel to the world until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he's going back to the Jewish people. And they will, they will then come to him as a whole at that point. But for now, the Jewish people, except for those coming and becoming a part of Jesus' church that he has built, and I don't mean that in an official denomination or building. I'm talking about the church being the body, the, the group, the gathering together of all believing Jews and Gentiles together. There is a church globally that we're a part of those who have believed in Jesus Christ, and it's called the body of Christ. It's also referred to by Paul as the bride of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a particular denomination or a particular structure or building. And so Jesus is using the church, meaning his people, those who believe in him, those who have been justified by faith alone, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and are now gifted and called by him and sent out, like we talked about in Romans chapter 10. And he had designed for that instrument to be the Jewish nation. They rejected him. He built his church. He's using his church. And it's through the church that the Gentiles have now come to faith. And Paul even said, I'm going to the Gentiles now because you reject me. So, you know, we understand that the gospel has come to the Gentiles. And then he says, though, in this same passage, that the hope and plan still on Paul's heart. Paul loved his people, the Jewish people, and he wants them all to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we should too. We should share the father's heart in that, just like we read about the prodigal son story. So the hope and plan is that through the mercy that God has shown to the Gentiles in saving them, that that will also be used by God as an instrument to result in the Jews being saved, that they may also obtain mercy, that they may be grafted in again. Remember, Paul talked about how they God is able to graft them in again, that they will turn to the Lord and have that veil of blindness removed, like we saw in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is what God meant earlier in this book when he talked about the Gentiles that were getting saved being an instrument to provoke the Jews to jealousy, or in other words, to stimulate them to also come, to stimulate them to emulate the Gentiles believing in the Lord so that they can come also. And so now Paul gets down in verse 32 here in Romans 11. He says that this brilliant plan of God and we're going to see the brilliance of God. That this brilliant plan of God has now brought mercy to all the world, Jew and Gentile, whoever will believe in Jesus Christ. With that sincere faith that we talked about earlier. And so Paul follows that up. It's almost as if Paul's mind is blown when he envisions this brilliance and magnificent plan 
of God. It's like it just takes his breath away. This is why Paul's cry, it's almost like his cry in verse 33 through 35 is a wow moment. It's as if, wow, God has blown me away with this beautiful understanding. So he cries out and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, he says, it's like an ocean deep. That's the picture. The ocean full. He, he just, he can't even imagine it. He can't get his head around it. It's so deep and so rich and so full. The riches, the wealth of this. Both, notice this, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God would refer to his knowing, that understanding, that ability to, to understand the plan. And the wisdom would speak about the application of that knowledge, how to bring it to pass, how to accomplish it. It made me think of a couple of places here because we see these tied together. I thought about a couple of places I want to read to you. The first one is found in John chapter 8, and I want to begin reading in verse 30. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. This was talking about Jesus. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then go on down to verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is talking here about wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge is abiding in his word growing in his word, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, praying it, thinking on it, knowing his word. And the wisdom is that once you know that truth, it makes you free. It gives direction to your life. It helps you to live it out and know how to put it into practice. Because James warns us against being just a hearer of the word and not a doer we need to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, we need both. We need to know the truth and we need also the wisdom of God and the grace of God to implement it, to apply it and live it. For instance... If God has delivered you from something or from, from some sin or some addiction, there is wisdom that teaches you as you grow in Jesus that you need to not do those things anymore. You need to not go to those places anymore. You may not even need to have those same friends anymore. Those kinds of things. Because God is teaching you how to be free, the truth that you are feeding yourself from the word of God. That's how it works. And so Paul is identifying here in Romans 11, the depth. 
He says, it's like an ocean. It's so deep. I could stand on the shore and I can't even see a, a, a smidgen of it in the depths of it. It's so deep. The riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Then he goes on and he says, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His unsearchable judgments, those things that we can't figure out, they're incapable of being humanly understood. He is so far above our human understanding, we can't figure it out. The verdicts of a just God. I thought about this and I wrote down a few things I want to just read to you. Prior to the cross, for instance, we have Genesis 1 and 2. He made a perfect world, perfect world, put a tree of everlasting life in the middle of it, along with a tree of knowledge of the good and evil. He gave man free will because he never wanted robots. He wanted people to love him because they choose to love him, not because they're required or demanded or programmed to love him. He wants us to choose him of our own free will. So he made this perfect environment, made man the crowning jewel, man and woman, the crowning jewel in his garden. And then you come to Genesis chapter three, and we have the serpent entering the picture with a temptation that cast doubt on God, on his word, and on his character. He comes along and he says, did God really say that you can eat of every tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Is God really good to you? Is God withholding from you? Is he really wanting to give you good things or maybe not? You see, it's those subtle lines, those subtle things that, that cast doubt on the goodness and character and love of God. And he began to get them to doubt God through that temptation. And then they sinned. And that fellowship was broken. Jesus had to come kill the animal, slay it. And it was a picture of what he was going to do. Because he gave the promise in Genesis 3.15. That tells exactly the very first messianic promise in the scriptures. That points to him and to his cross. Who in the world could have ever thought up that plan of redemption? Who could have thought that he would use sin's curse, the thorns, to destroy sin? But what do we have? The curse of sin that came upon the ground was that it would now bear thorns. And what does Jesus come on the scene headed to the cross wearing a crown of thorns. Who would have thought, in, in none of our minds could we have ever thought that God could take the very thing that was the curse of sin and use it to destroy sin? Who would have ever thought that God would take death, the death of his own son, the innocent dying for the guilty, to completely defeat death and destroy death, which is what Jesus did. 
Who would have ever thought that God would use simple faith in Jesus Christ, believing that his blood is enough to pay for my sin, to pay for all the sin of the world, believing that, and that through that honest, sincere faith, coupled with the repentance that comes with that and is inherent in it, that through simple saving faith, God would declare a guilty sinner now to be righteous in his sight. Because the death sentence has already been paid for that sin by his innocent son. Who would have thought of that? Who would have thought of the riches of that? Who would have thought that the sinless Holy One who had never sinned therefore was not subject to the wages of sin, would have been used by God, died, gone into the grave to completely overcome the grave and destroy it. Because the grave had no power to hold him. Praise be to God. And to understand that more fully, I've covered that in other episodes of, of different series that I've done, but I want to just point out these scriptures to you. Romans 6, 23, Hosea 13, 14, Psalm 16, 10, and Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Praise be to God. And who would have thought that the sinless Holy One, the Son of the living God, going into the grave for those three days and three nights would have defeated the grave? Hallelujah. Who would have thought that God could still fulfill his promise to David after even Israel's sin and after even the dynasty was cursed, according to Jeremiah 36, verse 30. Yet David's covenant guaranteed it. And in the brilliance of God, we have Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That proves to us that Jesus is the legitimate son of God, the legitimate son of David, and the one worthy and heir to David's throne. Praise be to God. And it's just and it's right. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought these great things? He is brilliant. God is brilliant. There are so many examples of this ocean of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. We can't even, it blows our minds. We can't even figure it out. His judgments and his ways. Each one blows our mind. They are past searching. They're past human understanding. They are past human explanation. Hallelujah. And one of those one of those judgments and verdicts that are past our finding out is that God, the just judge, will justify a guilty sinner who repents and calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved. Praise God. These are untraceable. They, we can't figure them out. We can't track them back to where they originated from. We can't even follow them. They are, it's just an ocean of the depth of the riches of God. Who he is, 
what he does and how he does it. Hallelujah. All in concert with his nature, with his character, and with his word. Never in violation of it. Period. In closing, I just want to read a few other passages to you. I'll mention some other verses. Job chapter 11, verse 7. Job chapter 15, verse 8. Psalm chapter 36, verse 6. Psalm chapter 92, verse 5. I want to read these select verses from Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 9 says this, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Hallelujah. Then let's look at verse 12 through, 15, 12 through 14. Verse 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or has, as his counselor, has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? In verse 18, to whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him? Verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. To whom then will you liken me? Verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. This is our God. And Paul is concluding Romans chapter 11 by praising our great God. This is the amazing, mind-blowing God. And Paul is blown away by seeing just glimpses of this ocean of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And so I want to conclude today with verse 36 of chapter 11 of Romans. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And we would say, Amen. Praise be to God. God's plan is beautiful. It is brilliant. It is magnificent. And his heart's desire is for all to come, Jew and Gentile alike. That's what will please the Father's heart. And I pray that this is a blessing to you and that you come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and that once you know him, you are growing in him because he has truth that will set you free.
And once the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Praise God. Praise God. Behold our great and mind-blowing God. We cannot figure him out. He is far beyond what we could even imagine. And he is so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits as we continue reading in Romans and we begin in Romans chapter 12 in the next episode. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.